Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. There's a story of an ambitious young attorney who made a phone call to the governor in the middle of the night. He insisted to speak with him and said it was an urgent matter. And so the governor answered the phone and said, what is it? The attorney replied that the head judge, Judge Garber, had just died. And he told the governor, I want to take his place. Smiling in the phone, the governor replied, it's fine with me if the funeral director agrees to it. I'll give you a second. Good. Have you ever wanted to take someone else's place? And maybe it wasn't for a promotion, but maybe in a tragedy. I mean, how often have we seen a story on the news where a parent loses a child and says, I I would do anything for it to be me and not them. Throughout this series, the plot, we have been following Jesus through a series of moments that ultimately led up to his death on the cross. Last week, Pastor Dave showed us that Jesus' trial before religious leaders. And today we pick up right where we left off in Mark chapter 15 in verse 1. Remember, it had been a long, grueling night for Jesus, but the difficulty was not over. He'd been betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested by the angry mob. From there, he was led to stand before the high priest in a mock trial filled with false accusations and untruthful witnesses. But having secured the evidence, they schemed to confirm that Jesus was declared guilty of blasphemy and as a result was sentenced to death. Following the guilty verdict, Jesus was spat on, humiliated, and beaten at the hands of his accusers. And now it's the next morning. And on this day, Jesus would be led to stand before Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor in charge of this area of Israel. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. So it was early in the morning, the religious council would meet a second time following the night before, and this second meeting was to make sure that nobody changed their mind. It was a final consideration of the charges. Most agree this would have taken place early in the morning, probably between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and it was, usual, it was a usual occurrence. It was to get that full agreement amongst the council, but we know that in this case, it really was just a formality. It was to help them make themselves feel better about convicting an innocent man. Following this council, they agreed to stand by their decision to take Jesus to stand before the governor Pilate. 
And this was the point at no return. The council has decided, the guilty verdict has been given, and Jesus was headed to see Pilate. See, the political and social climate in Jerusalem was unusual at this time. The Romans were in charge of the area, but the Jews were allowed to measure religious and social freedoms. So the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, were allowed the privilege of hearing and trying disputes made amongst the Jews. They had the authority to pass down sentences that would be carried out. However, they were not allowed to condemn someone to death or carry out executions. That was reserved for the Roman authorities. The Jews needed the Roman stamp of approval and ultimately their ability to execute in order for them to declare victory over Jesus. And that wasn't an easy task. You see, Pilate would have to agree with their judgment in order to put Jesus to death. Verse 1, And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Pilate asked Jesus straight up, Are you the king of the Jews? Remember, the council was trying to convict Jesus based off of a commitment of blasphemy. But see, blasphemy would have been considered a religious accusation. And the Jews knew that Pilate would not hear or agree to that because it was a religious problem. He wanted the Jews to handle that. Instead, we learn in the Gospel of Luke that the Jews would instead present an alternative charge in this moment. Luke chapter 23, verse 2, they say, And they began to accuse him, saying that we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, or pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. A king. So not only were they saying Jesus was claiming to be God, but they were saying that he was an insurrectionist attempting to mislead the nation to stop people from paying taxes and making himself a political king. The Jews were making the claim that Jesus was a leader of a terrorist organization attempting to overtake the Roman government. So Jesus responds to Pilate's question with, you have said so. And Jesus is not denying being the son of God here, but he refuses to play the games. In essence, Jesus declared that he was in fact king, but not a king in the way Pilate would assume. His authority was not given by men, and mankind could not abolish his rule. His kingdom was not of this world. So Pilate asks him again in verse 4. He says, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. And Pilate was amazed. See, Pilate has just heard all of these charges brought before Jesus. And he's surprised that Jesus has nothing to say. He challenges Jesus to offer offer some kind of argument, some kind of defense. But he doesn't respond. Could you imagine the faces of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders during this moment? 
I could picture them like elbowing each other. We got them now, right? You could see in their eyes that their plan was working, that they were heading towards the point of securing a guilty verdict. But in Jesus' eyes, something else was going on. You see, he knew this was going to be the plan all along. Jesus was not surprised to be sent to the cross. In fact, it was the whole reason for him to come to earth in the first place, that he would go to the cross and die for our sins, reuniting us with God, that Jesus would lay down his life in order for us to secure redemption. This moment was not about the Sanhedrin or about Pilate or about the will of the people. This was about a submissive, obedient Jesus submitting himself to God's plan of redemption that was made long before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus says nothing. And the onlookers watch in silence. This behavior was so strange Because anybody else who was facing crucifixion would come up with whatever kind of plan, whatever kind of excuse they can to try to avoid it. But Jesus is silent. 500 years before the prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 53, he says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before it, its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, the first thing we can learn from this passage is that the silence of Jesus shows us that this came as no surprise. The silence of Jesus shows us that this came as no surprise. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. He knew it was coming. In a moment, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and made all of this over with because he's the son of God, right? He's got the power to heal the sick. He's got the power to cast out demons, to raise the dead. And he could do whatever he wanted and just in a moment be out of this predicament. But he didn't. Why? Because it was no surprise to him. Remember, though, that it was Passover. And during Passover, it became a custom for the governor to pardon or release one prisoner of the people's choosing. We picked it up in verse 6. Mark writes, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner from whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder, there was a man called Barabbas. This is the only time in Scripture we hear about this guy named Barabbas, but I believe that after today, Barabbas will be a name that you will never forget. You see, Barabbas was a hardened criminal. He was constantly in and out of trouble. He was under the custody of the Roman guards, and we know that the Roman guards took an oath, and the oath was that they would risk their own life to guard their prisoner. So if a prisoner escaped, that could mean the life of that guard. You see, Barabbas refused to submit himself to authority. And as a result, he found himself here. In the Gospel of John, we learn that Barabbas was a robber, that he stole from others in order to gain his own wealth, and that he didn't care about those around him. Rather, he did whatever it took to benefit himself. And so without even addressing Barabbas, Pilate asks the crowd this. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews, Jesus? For he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd 
to have him release for them Barabbas instead. The chief priests, the religious leaders, convinced the crowd to fight for Barabbas to be freed instead of Jesus. Those who stood in the crowd could have freed Jesus, but they chose Barabbas. In verse 12, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted again, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Friends, hear this today. The crowd did not choose Barabbas because they loved Barabbas. They chose Barabbas because they hated Jesus. And so the silence of Jesus shows us that this came as no surprise, but the release of Barabbas shows that there was no avoiding the cross. Jesus was heading to the cross. Look at the remainder of the story. Verse 16. And the soldiers led him, Jesus, away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Could you imagine being there that day? The whole battalion of soldiers gathered to witness the beating and humiliation of Jesus. They, they put a purple cloak on him because during this time, purple was the color of royalty. They twisted a crown of thorns and put it in his head. And these weren't the thorns that you'd find on a rose bush in your backyard. These thorns were about one and a half to two inches tall. And some scholars say that there were over 70 thorns in this crown. The crown was not used to worship Jesus as king, but rather to mock him for claiming to be king. Hail the king of the Jews, they shouted as they laughed and spit and smacked Jesus with a reed. They kneeled down before Jesus just like you would kneel, kneel down before a king to laugh at him. And after they were satisfied with the humiliation, they took the robe away and Jesus would be led to the cross. Could you imagine Barabbas during this moment? I mean, this should have been him. Jesus, a man who had done nothing wrong. Barabbas, who had done everything wrong. And yet the crowd chooses Barabbas. They would rather have a murderer set free than have Jesus set free. I mean, who would you have chosen? Would you have chosen Barabbas? I want us to recap this section about Barabbas just for a second because I really don't want you to miss this. Remember that we see the story of Jesus going to, to the cross and everything seems normal and then all of a the sudden there is this character who pops into the story of the Bible who interrupts and his name is Barabbas. And we don't know much about him except that he's a murderer, he's a leader of an insurrection, he's a rebel, he's a thief. 
Why is his name even mentioned here? Why does he get any notice? I'm not even quite sure. But in this moment, Pilate must be thinking that he has the destinies of two men at his hands. He knows that the Jews have a tradition that at the holy day, he's supposed to release one of the prisoners that are on death row. And Pilate stands between these two men on a stage. And he presents Jesus, the son of God, versus Barabbas, the thug, and the rebel. And he says to the crowd, who do you want? This is Barabbas. He's gone too far. There's no comparison. He is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He is a rebel against wrong. He's a bad man. He's a thug. He's a crook. He deserves chains. He deserves crucifixion. And then on the other side, he's got Jesus. What has he done besides heal, restore, deliver, and set free? Open blind eyes, cleared Uh, deaf ears, healed the lame and the leper. What has Jesus done? And he says to the crowd, who do you want? And their only response is, give us Barabbas. And so the soldiers come up, and I can imagine them undoing the chains of Barabbas. And Barabbas walking back down off the platform, being greeted by all his friends, saying, wow, the people love me. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but the people love me. You see, there's no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, man, Jesus, I owe you everything. You've set me free. No. You don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. And what does Jesus do? He stands there silent. For he knew the will of his father And he said, it's fine, Father. Let them have Barabbas. See, Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. And Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free, but no, it was the love of the Heavenly Father that set him free. And when I look at this story, I realize who Barabbas really is. He's me. He's you. He's all of us. And when I felt, I felt this when I was reading this the other day, and I felt God speak to me, and he said, I, I love Barabbas. And I wrestled with that, because I'm like, but God, he's a really bad guy. Like, he's a really bad man. And God's like, well, I love him, and I want him to go free. But, of course, I'm thinking, well, God, don't you realize that Barabbas will probably never acknowledge the free gift of salvation that Jesus, and he goes, yeah, but I love Barabbas. The Bible says, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas, even though he knew he would walk away from Jesus. And yet we get this nerve This audacity as believers to think that I got saved by grace, but now I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage that I better work hard to get myself out of. You see, that's the opposite of the gospel. Do you feel bound? Are you held under the power of temptation and sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? Well, what are you going to do about it? And oftentimes our response is, well, I'm just going to work my way out. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm just going to get out of this mess. Stop. 
You won't do it. You are no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it on your own. You will just become another statistic. There is no answer within yourself. Your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save you. There's only one that can save you. And he's the one who took your place. He's the one who stood on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let them have Barabbas. Take me. But how many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas. I'm the one in the chains. And Jesus says, oh, take me. Let Brian go and The guards come over and they come to take the chains off of me. And I say, no, no, no. I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. And Jesus looks at me and is like, no. (laughs) Let me take it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. And I say, no, 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 no. I did it to myself. I deserve it. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve shame. I deserve it all. And I stand before God ashamed. And God says, give me your shame. And of course, we're like, well, what if I do it again? God says, well, I'll still be here giving your shame again. He says, just give me your sins, and when I decide to stop trying and I decide to stop trying to get myself out of it and I trust God to set me free from my sins, he breaks the chain that traps me. And he sets me free. You see, we can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the conclusion that it is God and God alone. Listen, your greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, or your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing and living the gospel. Could it be that there really is a God whose love is so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, that he says to us, let me have your sin. And I give him my sin and I stand in a space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserved. I stand a free child and I hear God saying, go, I'll pay the price. It's always been Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. His blood is sufficient for your salvation. His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every sin, through every challenge, through every temptation. Jesus is enough. And so the silence of Jesus shows us that this came as no surprise. The release of Barabbas shows us that there was no avoiding the cross. And lastly, the truth is that I am Barabbas. But Jesus died the death I should have died. We might not like to admit it, but Barabbas is a picture of all of us. Each and every single one who ever lived stood in the same place of 
Barabbas. We may have never committed crimes such as his against society, but we've all committed those crimes against the Son of God. If there's one way for me to summarize today's message, it's this, that Jesus took your place so that you could have a relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took my place, that you took our place on the cross, that you died the death I should have died. And so, Father, we ask right now, God, for those in here who may not know you, who may not have been set free from the chains that entangle them, Lord, that you would give them an opportunity right now to do so. And maybe that's you today. If that's you, you can pray a prayer just like this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I've fallen short. But the best way that I know how, I ask you to come into my life. I accept you as my Savior. If that's you today, while everyone's eyes are closed and head is bowed, if that's you today, you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Just raise your hand and say, I prayed that, thank you. I prayed that for the very first time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian. And you keep putting yourself back in the chains that Jesus has set you free from. Whether it's your doubts, your situation, your fears, whatever it is, you keep putting yourself back in those chains. If that's you this morning while no one else is looking, if you just want to be vulnerable for a second, say, that's me. I keep putting myself back in chains. Just raise your hand for me. Say, I keep falling back into it. Yeah, so many of us. Me too. My hand's up. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every single one of those believers in the room, God, that the Holy Spirit would break every chain in Jesus' name. That the battle they've been facing, that they would recognize that they can walk in victory because of Jesus. Father, for the new believers in the room, heaven rejoices. And Father, we're excited to declare that you are bringing people from death to life today. And so Father, we give you praise for every heart, for every life that turns to you. Father, because it's with every breath that we have that we want to bring you glory, that we want to bring you honor, that we want to bring you praise. Father, we thank you that Jesus died the death we should have died, and now we live for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship together.